Welcome to Keep the Faith Ministry. Keep the Faith brings you timely messages with in-depth spiritual analysis of current events in light of Bible prophecy so you can prepare for the coming of Jesus. Listen to what the news won't tell you. Here is another important message for our times. This is Pastor Hal Mayer. Welcome to Keep the Faith Ministry. I'm so glad that you are listening today. Prophecy is being fulfilled in our time, and if you think that the final movements will be in some later generation, you might well get caught in the overwhelming surprise. I'm thankful that the angels have held back the winds of strife and are working for your salvation and mine. But we must take heed, for the time is coming when there will be no more opportunity to repent and be cleansed of our sins. In Luke 21, verse 34 to 36, Jesus said, And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life, so that day come upon you unawares. Notice how careful we are to live so that we are not asleep or otherwise incapable of seeing the signs of the times, and that the day of God and the close of probation take you by surprise. Verse 35 says, For as a snare shall it come upon all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. The only ones who will escape the snare are the ones who follow the counsel to take heed to yourselves and live godly lives now. This is not talking about some future time, my friends. This is talking about you and me right now. Verse 36 says, Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass, and to stand before the Son of Man. Notice that it is by watching and praying always that we prepare our characters to stand before the Son of Man and also escape the snare. This is very practical counsel for us. It means that our hearts must be surrendered to Jesus, praying always for His presence. It also means that we are to be consciously aware of the way in which we live so that we can be purified by the power of Jesus Christ. You don't have time to lose. We are coming up close to our finest moment in all of history. God's church will be on magnificent display. It will be challenged, but because of faithful men and women, it will be victorious. This month I want to show you again how prophecy is being fulfilled in our time. The Greek financial crisis and its impact on Europe has great significance to students of prophecy. Today we're going to explore this crisis and try to understand its close connection to prophecy. Great movements are going on in Europe. I never realized when I was young that Europe would have such an important place in prophecy. I knew that the United States was central to fulfilling prophecy, but I did not understand that without a resurrection of the Holy Roman Empire, it would be impossible for there to be a global religion dominated by the Roman Catholic Church. Now it is becoming clearer and clearer how Rome's one-world religion will be established. Revelation 13:8 says that all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, meaning the beast or Rome. A global religion deeply involves the economy and politics, 
for the kings of the earth and the merchants of the earth are collaborating with Rome, according to Revelation 18, to accomplish their respective goals. Dramatic movements are in play, and it is an incredible time to be alive. But before we begin, let us pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your holy word that guides our lives and shows us what is coming upon the world as an overwhelming surprise and as a snare. I pray that your Holy Spirit will speak to us today so that we will learn much about what you want us to see. Our eyes need to be wide open so that we can understand the things that are going on in the world. Thank you for your love. Help us today to be your people in the fullest sense. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let us begin by reading Revelation 13.3. The Apostle John was speaking about the Roman Catholic system described as a beast in verses 1-3. to He says, And I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. The deadly wound was given to the papacy in 1798 by Napoleon and his general Berthier, who entered Rome and took the Pope captive and exiled him to southern France. Rome lost most of her temporal power at that time. But gradually... Stealthily and steadily, the Vatican has been rebuilding its strength for more than 200 years. Now Western nations, especially the United States, which was founded on Protestant principles, are welcoming the papacy within their borders to influence their policies and politics. But the deadly wound given by Napoleon was intended to unite Europe under his atheistic leadership instead of under the Vatican. But this was not to be. The time had not yet come for a restored European unity, particularly without the Roman Catholic Church. Napoleon could not heal the deadly wound, only inflict it. He was defeated in Britain and in Russia and was forced to abdicate his throne and sent into exile in 1814. The Vatican had been the dictator of Europe since the 9th century, when Charlemagne, or Charles the Great, had united Europe under the Roman Catholic religion. Though Rome's power was cut down in 1798, just as prophecy predicted, it was not the end of papal power. The deadly wound is presently being healed, and the Greek economic tornado is dramatically shaping the way the new Europe will appear. Today I want to show you how that is happening. If you can understand the mechanism of how Rome is rising to power again in Europe, you will also understand the principles she will use elsewhere. Revelation 17 and 18 tells us that the kings of the earth commit fornication with the papacy. Notice chapter 17, verses 1 and 2, for instance. And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. This means that the Roman church described here as the whore and the nation-states described as the kings of the earth, are working together to accomplish their respective purposes. Nation-states want political advantage for themselves in their regional and global political struggles. 
and they work with Rome to gain it. Little do they realize that they are entering a trap from which, eventually, there will be no escape. The papacy will dominate them politically and force them to impose her religion on their citizens once the old Holy Roman Empire goes global. Revelation 18.15 tells us that the merchants of the earth, which are the economic managers and manipulators, such as the central bankers, super-rich cabals, secret societies, major corporations and banks, are working together with Rome to solve economic crises that appear to be popping up everywhere, but particularly now in Europe, Rome's backyard. They are men like Ben Bernanke of the Federal Reserve, Jean-Claude Trichet, the head of the European Central Bank, Timothy Geithner of the U.S. Department of the Treasury, and others. They are made rich by her or by their cooperation with Rome. But all this great global wealth that they are amassing is going to collapse and come to nothing eventually. Verse 17 tells us that in one hour, so great riches is come to naught. This amazing prophecy is yet to be fulfilled, but it is as certain as the sun comes up each morning. Rome will rise to great power and will engineer the consolidation of global wealth and power in the hands of a few people that she can control. Rome is not just interested in dominating the economy and the politics of the world for its own sake. Her greatest interest is to impose her religion as the only solution to solve nagging world problems, some of which she helped to create. She is maneuvering herself to become the ethical or moral guide of the nations. Right now, Europe is at the center of the struggle for control, but to most people, what is happening in Europe is a great mystery. And since it doesn't seem or feel like it's affecting them, they ignore what is going on in Greece and other nations of the European Union. So while there's panic in the bond markets and volatile stock markets rattle investment portfolios around the world, Keep the Faith listeners are kept informed and are aware of the final outcome. Because of prophecy, we can know how to interpret what is happening with substantial accuracy. Greece was on the verge of economic and political collapse in the spring of 2010. It could not pay its debts without colossal infusions of capital and enormous structural changes. But though Greece is at the center of the economic crisis for the time being, she is not alone. Italy, Portugal, Spain, Ireland, and even Britain are in deep economic trouble and are struggling to avoid the problem that Greece is facing. If even one of them fails to make a debt payment or meet financial targets, it could cause a severe worldwide economic tsunami. Everyone is watching Europe. In 2007, Bernard Connolly of the UK Telegraph commented that the resulting carnage in the financial system of the whole euro area will make the present global financial crisis, serious though it is, seem almost insignificant. Indeed, the Greek crisis actually threatens the whole world with a double-dip recession. But behind the scenes, the secret story of the Greek financial crisis is stunning and rivets our attention on Europe, and in particular, Germany and the Vatican. 
There is a sinister mastermind that planned and orchestrated the economic chaos in Greece for a little understood purpose. Is Greece about to collapse in one big heap? Is the euro going to fall apart? Will the European Union come to an end in the near future? These are the burning questions of the day in Europe. They are also galvanizing the attention of the kings and merchants of the earth in Europe and America especially. But men and women who are paying attention to world affairs are deeply worried, hoping against hope that the dramatic movements in Europe will not plunge the earth into a global depression. Listen to this statement from the book Education, page 179. The present is a time of overwhelming interest to all living. Rulers and statesmen, men who occupy positions of trust and authority, thinking men and women of all classes have their attention fixed upon the events taking place about us. They are watching the strained, restless relations that exist among the nations. They observe the intensity that is taking possession of every earthly element, and they recognize that something great and decisive is about to take place, that the world is on the verge of a stupendous crisis. You, my friends, have the more sure word of prophecy to tell you what is certain to happen. You know where all this is headed, but what do they have? They only have their instincts, which are very unreliable. God has placed you in position to help them understand what is going on. Just under a year ago, there was great enthusiasm among European leaders over the fact that the Irish people had voted in favor of the European Union. They were the last holdouts in a 60-year conspiracy by the Roman Catholic Church and European leaders to create a central government, a superstate over all of Europe, an empire that could eventually be dominated by the Vatican once again. Their project was undergirded by the euro, a common currency that was intended to give Europeans a sense of unity. Just as soon as the European Union became a superstate at the end of last year, the euro is suddenly at the center of a whopping crisis that has been engineered by the very ones who want to take full control of Europe. Two leaders of Europe met together in 1978 to plan how the European monetary system would work. Helmut Schmidt and Valerie Giscard d'Estaing met in the German city of Aachen, the main seat of Charlemagne's authority in the Middle Ages. Remember, Charlemagne is a Vatican hero. Aachen is also the Catholic city that awards the Karls Prize, or the Charlemagne Award, to those who are especially helpful in building the European superstate and resurrecting the Holy Roman Empire. D'Estaing received the prize in... 2003 for his work. The prize was even given to the euro itself in 2002. In his book, The Rotten Heart of Europe, Bernard Connolly wrote, the symbolism was heavily underlined in both France and Germany. The two leaders paid a special visit to the throne of Charlemagne and a special service was held in the cathedral. At the end of the summit, Giscard remarked that perhaps when we discussed monetary problems, the spirit of Charlemagne brooded over us. The symbolism was significant because these leaders were going to repeat what Charlemagne had done. 
Charlemagne was famous for minting a common currency that he used to unify the nations of Europe under one military power and, more significantly, under one religion. These men were planning to create another single currency to unite Europe again and resurrect Charlemagne's glory in the new Holy Roman Empire, again under the Catholic Church. Note that there was a special service at the Roman Catholic Cathedral to commemorate the event, symbolizing the Catholic ambitions behind the monetary union. Those who know even a tiny bit about Europe's recent history know that this is exactly how Europe's superstate has been restored. The euro is being used to unify and control a disunited set of nations under one authority both secular and religious. The deadly wound is being healed, but the euro has plunged at least one nation into economic chaos. How can it be that the euro can unite the nations of Europe under the present uncertainty and distress? Behind the scenes, my friends, there is a hand that has created this crisis for the greater good, they claim, of the whole European community. With all the demonstrations and violence, Greece looked like it might disintegrate. The protests almost brought down the Greek government. But while this crisis is real, it was planned out a long time ago and is implemented on schedule. Many journalists, pundits, and commentators think that the European Union, or at least the Euro, is about to implode and collapse in one big heap. But the media is looking in the wrong direction. Who is behind the problem in Greece? And who is behind the plight of the Euro? And most importantly, what is the reason for the chaos, and how will it all end? Greece has a history of reckless spending. But this is not the main reason for the crisis. Consider an illustration. A drug addict is addicted to his drug. Even though he cannot handle it, and though it destroys him from the inside, he demands it anyway because he craves it severely. Like the drug addict, Greece, along with a number of other Mediterranean countries especially, was heavily addicted to cheap credit and demanded more and more of it, even before joining the EU. Let's be specific. Greece is a weaker member of the Eurozone, which is the term used to describe the group of nations in the European Union that use the Euro. Like many European countries, Greece was living well above its means. It was giving its public workers expensive benefits and early retirement, funding large social programs and politically popular but expensive projects, and it featured rampant corruption, fiscal irresponsibility, and budgetary impiety. The largesse was slowly strangling the Greek economy. Financing that debt was expensive, but not impossible. All Greece had to do was devalue the drachma by printing more and more of them, easing the pressure inside the economic bubble. Joining the euro in 2001 was quite attractive to Greece and other economically weaker countries because the European Central Bank, or the ECB, was keeping the interest rates low, on purpose. Greece wanted to take advantage of the inexpensive loans and racked up staggering debt in the last nine years. In fact, Greece misrepresented its finances to cover up the excess, 
so that it could get approval to join the Eurozone. So Greece is no innocent bystander in this European economic catastrophe. But on New Year's Day 2001, the Prime Minister gave a speech in which he said, We all know that our inclusion in the EMU, or the European Monetary Union, ensures for us greater stability and opens up new horizons. Either he was deliberately misleading his people, or he was deceived himself, because the facts do not bear out the truth of his statement. I suspect that no one back then, except the inner core of insiders who were planning it, would have realized how unstable things would become and how those new horizons would fade, leaving Greece as the pariah of the Eurozone. You see, there is a backside to joining the Euro. By joining the Euro, the government of Greece lost control of its own economy. The economists at the European Central Bank are the ones who decide how much money supply there is going to be in the Eurozone. Greece cannot determine that for itself anymore. Now Greece is caught in a vice grip. It is trapped. Those central bankers could have limited Greek debt exposure, but they didn't, and for a very strategic reason. They needed a crisis, so they let it happen. The real culprits are the European central bankers. In 2007, Bernard Connolly wrote that Alan Greenspan did not set up this Greek tragedy. In contrast, the EU quite deliberately created the most dangerous credit bubble of all, the EMU, the Economic Monetary Union. He's talking about the European Central Bank and the Euro. And whereas the mission of the Fed is to avoid a financial crisis, he said, the mission of the ECB is to provoke one. The purpose of the crisis will be, as Romano Prati, then Commission President, said in 2002, to allow the EU to take more power for itself. The sacrificial victims will be, in the first instance, families and firms and banks and investors in countries such as Ireland and Club Med, meeting the Mediterranean nations of Europe. Subsequently, he continued, German savers or British taxpayers will bear the burden of bailouts that a newly empowered EU economic government will ordain. Notice what Connolly said. He pinpointed the purpose of the Greek economic crisis. It is so that the EU can get more power. The way to do it is to create a crisis so that the people will demand it. This is classic. Crises are an opportunity, whether they are engineered by human agencies or not, for central governments to grab more control with the consent and even the begging of the people. The leaders of the European Central Bank knew that given access to cheap credit, Greece would soon become so addicted that it could not survive without it, and so would other countries in similar situations. They also knew that once Greece and other nations were in the Eurozone, they could not escape. Here is why. Imagine Greece trying to reestablish financial credibility on the open bond markets in order to borrow money to survive on its own. Greece knows that would be virtually impossible because investors' confidence in Greece is already badly shaken. One word from a well-placed economist could easily turn the bond markets against Greece. Leaving the Eurozone would be utterly impossible. 
European power brokers and bankers knew that, given time, Greece and certain other nations would become so deeply involved in Euro debt that they would never be able to establish bond credibility on their own. Going back to their own currencies would unwind their economies and destroy them. Greece is trapped in the proverbial checkmate and is at the mercy of the European Central Bank and the most powerful political players in Europe. European leaders knew all this to begin with. The crisis could have been avoided a long time ago if European bankers would have wanted to stop it. The reckless spending was used to create the crisis so that the Euro-Federalists could take the control of Europe to a new level. And while it appears that the Greek crisis threatens the very viability of the European Union, it should be understood that the breakup of the Euro is not likely in the plans for Europe. Now Greece is cornered. Its economy is in shambles. The people are upset, and the government is in chaos. But it has nowhere to turn except to the very bankers who caused the crisis and whose priorities are not the best interests of Greece. When there is a monetary bailout in Europe, each country pays its share. This means that Germany, which is the largest economy in Europe, bears the largest share of any bailout. But German citizens don't want to pay for Greek excess through taxes and deflation or any other method. However, they have no choice. This, too, was planned and well understood by the hidden manipulators of Europe, and Germany understands her opportunity. Agency French Press published an article in November 2009 which said, Observers believe Germany could be saving itself to push for the top job at the ECB, or the European Central Bank arguably the most influential EU post as the president governs monetary policy for all the countries that share the euro. U.S. President James A. Garfield said, Whoever controls the volume of money in any country is absolute master of all industry and commerce. Germany knows that whoever controls the money controls the power. Marco Annunziata, chief economist of the Italian bank Unicredit, said the ECB president is and will remain one of the most powerful European voices in global policymaking. Let's put that in specific terms. Whoever controls the euro controls Europe. This is the law that underpins European politics. And it is the law by which Germany intends to dominate Europe. Germany is essential to any bailout deal within Europe, because if Germany doesn't support it, there is no way that the rest of the Eurozone nations will pitch in either. That means that Germany already controls the terms of any financial rescue package for Greece, and therefore, by extension, Germany controls the Euro itself. Germany is now the undisputed economic and political leader of Europe. This is very important prophetically, as you will see. Germany can insist that the European Central Bank, which itself is located in Frankfurt, do what she wants. With Germany essentially at the helm of the ECB by default, she is then in position to control the process of solving the Greek crisis. Greece is really going to have a painful time dealing with Germany. 
in order to receive the bailout it needs from the European Central Bank, Greece is being forced to implement some very tough austerity measures demanded by Germany, which are very unpopular with the people. That's the reason for the riots. And Germany will use the crisis as a lesson to all other weak economies around the Eurozone in exchange for a huge infusion of German-controlled Euros. Germany is going to demand more power over those nations' finances. Speaking of the rescue package for Greece, the Washington Post said, This is no ordinary piece of Euro bureaucracy. This is the kind of thing a surrendering field marshal signs in a railway car in the forest at the end of a bloody war. In other words, Greece has essentially become a vassal state. And so will other weaker nations in Europe. The demanding austerity measures include tax rates, public sector retirement ages, health care service policy, civil service pay, and even laws about small business. The Post wrote that the Council's decision does represent something new, and something new it certainly is. The European Central Bank, understand that means Germany mainly, is dictating terms of survival for Greece. This is not lost on the other nations of Europe, particularly Portugal, Italy, Ireland, and Spain. They are nearly in as much trouble as Greece. Though Britain is not far behind them, it is not a Eurozone nation and can still decide its own economic policy by controlling its own money supply. But the deeper lesson is that Greece is virtually surrendering its entire sovereignty to Brussels in order to get the bailout money. And the Post picked that up. Though the European Union has already required a partial surrender of sovereignty from its member states, Greece no longer has much sovereignty at all, the author said. I don't believe anybody, least of all the Greeks, knew that the European Union had so much power over its member states. And Greece has no choice except to leave the Eurozone altogether. But that could be even more painful since decoupling from the euro would mean that Greece would have to establish its own credit in the bond markets, something that is nearly impossible. There is really no turning back, not for Greece and not for any of the other countries of the eurozone, or indeed of the entire EU. It is too late. The same set of criteria could also be used on other struggling countries, and they are, no doubt, running scared. There should be no surprise that there is a sudden fit of budgetary piety sweeping across Europe. The new fiscal housekeeping involves belt tightening and harsh austerity measures with considerable budgetary restraint. Perhaps they are all beginning to realize that they have lost virtually all of their national sovereignty and are being integrated into an ever-expanding regional power that will dictate everything they do. Like the fish caught by an octopus, the more he struggles to free himself, the more he is drawn in by the octopus tentacles. The plan of the Eurofederalists is working exactly as conceived. The media doesn't get it, mostly. They focus on the day-to-day -day details of the problems and conflicts that arise, but they do not see the larger picture and how this is being used to further increase the power of the bureaucrats in Brussels and the hidden hand behind them. The European project has always been about control. A single currency has been the tool to accomplish it. 
The Romans had a single currency that propelled its power everywhere. Medieval Europe had a common currency under Charlemagne, which politically, militarily, and religiously united Europe under the Roman Catholic Church. And now Europe has its own common currency again, and is using it to unite Europe again, this time under Germany. Will this also lead to unity under the Roman Catholic religion again? The euro was born in 1999, but the single currency notes and coins did not enter circulation until 2002. By joining the eurozone, nations were required to give up their individual national sovereign currencies. This would lead them to eventually lay all their national sovereignty at the feet of someone they know but do not understand. German and other European leaders developed a stealth plan based on the idea that by controlling the money supply, individual nations can then be controlled by a central authority. Germany, through the European Central Bank, is making sure that a preferred core of European nations, meaning those with whom Germany must cooperate politically, receive special economic favor, while the rest are essentially reduced to vassal status, similar to the way Europe was structured during the Middle Ages. Adrian Hilton described the intentions of the EU founders in his book The Principality and Power of Europe. Europe's nations should be guided towards a superstate without their people understanding what is happening. This can be accomplished by successive steps, each disguised as having an economic purpose, but which will eventually and irreversibly lead to federation. In 1952, one of those founders, Jean Monnet, a Roman Catholic with a Catholic vision for Europe, said, The fusion of economic functions would compel nations to fuse their sovereignty into that of a single European state. In 1957, Peter Thornycroft, former Chancellor of the Exchequer of the United Kingdom, remarked in a booklet called Design for Europe that because of national patriotism and dependency on a democratic vote, the people must be led slowly and unconsciously into the abandonment of their traditional economic defenses, not asked in advance. John Brown of Euro-Pacific Capital and former member of the British Parliament wrote in February that the European experiment with a trans-sovereign currency is facing its first acid test. In essence, the euro was created as a lever to encourage a complete European political union rather than as a currency representing an already unified economy. In October of 2008, the UK Telegraph wrote that the leaders of Europe welcomed the idea of a beneficial crisis. Imagine a beneficial crisis, engineered in stealth, just so that the Euro-Federalists could lock in their power. Romano Prati, the ex-commission chief, remarked that it would allow Brussels to accelerate the move to a full-fledged EU economic government. In other words, these authors are telling us that there was and still is a stealth plan to take over Europe using finance, economy, and a single currency to manipulate the nations of Europe into one huge megastate. The idea was that economic interdependence would drive political integration, which is exactly what has happened. 
The Greek financial crisis is the point at which the economic integration and political unity finally meet. Note that the purpose was to do this without the people knowing about it. And sure enough, once the superstate was official, the crisis erupted. And as if on cue, the Wall Street Journal crowed that it was time for the Eurozone to grow up. The way out of the crisis, it said, would require a European federal government with substantial taxing and spending power, with the ability to redistribute resources and impose fiscal discipline across the continent. In short, solving the crisis would require a far greater degree of political union. Yet the choice is now clear and inescapable. And do you know what, my friends? There is no choice at all. Europe is now locked together permanently. The crisis has revealed our weakness, said European Union President Herman Van Rompuy in February. Recent developments in the euro area highlight the urgent need to strengthen our economic governance, he said. Catherine Ashton, the EU foreign affairs chief, went even further. At a security conference in Munich in February, she said, We must mobilize all our levers of influence, political, economic, plus civil and military crisis management tools, in support of a single political strategy. The events in Europe clearly show that a major prophetic development is underway. The European Union is not going to break up. In fact, Estonia is preparing to join the Eurozone even at this time of great Euro uncertainty. Instead, there's going to be a tighter and more controlling union. This is exactly what the Eurocrats wanted, and that is exactly what they have engineered. They are forcing the nations to accept a federal government which will strip the individual nations of any self-determination and sovereignty. It may well look similar to a United States of Europe when it is all completed. The Greek economic crisis was and is largely a predetermined, orchestrated step in that direction. But perhaps the more significant remark was that of the German finance minister Wolfgang Schauble. We need tighter rules, he said in March. That means, in an extreme case, the possibility that a country that does not get its finances in order at all leaves the Eurogroup. Schauble's threat was significant. Greece knows that it cannot leave the Eurozone. It would not likely survive, and that would cause further global instability. Germany may have enough power to kick Greece out of the Eurozone, but Schauble was obviously trying to cause enough fear so that Greece would cooperate with the terms of the bailout. In fact, subsequent events made it clear that Greece was going to stay in the Eurozone. But her status as one nation among equals is going to change. Germany and the rest of the Eurozone bailed her out, or at least bought her time with a huge infusion of euros. It also bailed her out at an enormous political price. But Schauble's remarks revealed something else. He was calling for more rules, which should be understood as more control. Since Germany controls the European Central Bank, Schauble was saying that Germany was going to take more control of the European Union by force. Germany is rising to become the civil dictator of Europe. Historically, Germany was the power that ruled Europe under the popes, 
The original idea of the European Union included a restrained Germany harnessed and contained by the superstate. But instead, Germany has arisen and is now becoming the controlling voice of the Union. The rest of the European nations did not want this, nor did they agree to it, but now they have no choice. Peter Zeyn of Stratford, a strategic forecasting group, wrote that Schauble's statement is not the sort of statement made by just any EU member, but rather by the decisive member. Germany now appears prepared not just to contemplate, but to publicly contemplate the re-engineering of Europe for its own interests. It may not do it, or it may not do it now, he said, but it has now been said, and that will change Germany's relationship to Europe. Students of prophecy should not miss the implications of Schauble's comment. The very nation that was responsible for two devastating world wars and quite a number of other conflicts throughout the region is now going to be the manager of Europe again. The euro, instead of restricting Germany, has become the platform for its rise to power. Germany's ambition is clear, Zayn said. Germany is achieving by stealth what it failed to achieve in the past thousand years of intra-European struggles. Now let me ask another compelling prophetic question. If Germany is becoming the ruler of Europe, who is going to be the ruler of Germany? Otto von Habsburg, a member of the European Parliament, once said, The European community is living largely by the heritage of the Holy Roman Empire, though the great majority of the people who live by it don't know by what heritage they live. The dramatic fall of the Berlin Wall, engineered by Pope John Paul II and Ronald Reagan, paved the way for Germany to be reunited and eventually become the ruler of Europe. Without the help of Rome and the United States, it would have been impossible. Germany owes Rome her allegiance. Consequently, the Vatican now controls Germany behind the scenes, the very land of the Reformation. As the shadow ruler of Germany, Rome by extension is also the shadow ruler of all of Europe. Europeans have no idea what's really going on behind the scenes. But there is something else, my friends. The United States is also helping Rome restore the Holy Roman Empire. Right at the height of the crisis, the Federal Reserve, the U.S. Central Bank, worked with other central banks around the world to provide a U.S. dollar guarantee of liquidity to the European Union, to support its bailout of Greece, and to keep the financial markets stable. The agreement, sparked by Greece's runaway debt problems, had begun to spread to other financially troubled Eurozone countries, such as Portugal and Spain. The EU's Monetary Affairs Commissioner, Olli Rehn, said the American-led agreement proves that we shall defend the euro whatever it takes. Let me remind you of a very important statement from Great Controversy, page 588. The Protestants of the United States will be foremost in stretching their hands across the gulf to grasp the hand of spiritualism. They will reach over the abyss to clasp hands with the Roman power. 
and under the influence of this threefold union, this country will follow in the steps of Rome in trampling on the rights of conscience. The United States has a vested interest in helping to solve the Greek crisis. They have to help in order to protect the U.S. economy from the ripple effect of the Greek crisis. But while doing this, they are also helping Rome resurrect the Holy Roman Empire by consolidating the economy of Europe under Vatican-controlled Germany. The Bible says that the United States and the Holy See unite together to bring about the worship of the beast or his image. That's found in Revelation 13. When the United States offered to help the European Central Bank with liquidity, it was no surprise. The crisis draws the U.S. to reach across the Atlantic Ocean and grasp the hands of the Vatican and Europe to help them through their difficulty. And it is a measure in self-defense. Do you see how the economic crisis is amazingly being used to fulfill this prophecy? Let's see if we can summarize what we have learned today and try to see who is actually behind it all. The European Union and its Euro is a Roman Catholic project to resurrect the old Holy Roman Empire. It was engineered by Rome in cooperation with the United States to collapse Eastern European communism, reunite Germany, expand Europe's territory, and place the whole EU under the control of Rome. Because Germany is the largest economy and strongest political power in Europe, she has positioned herself to control the European Central Bank. The Greek debt crisis was engineered by Germany through the ECB to give the European Union, and Germany in particular, more control over EU affairs. The Pope and the Roman Catholic Church have helped Germany to achieve this position of power and influence. So Germany owes its allegiance to the Vatican. That means that the Vatican can manipulate Germany as her agent to guide Europe in her own interests. Rome is also angling to control, or at least manipulate, global economy. European and American leaders are working with the Vatican to reorganize global finance so that the global economy is controlled by a few people close to the Vatican. Note that four nations of the G7 are European, Germany, France, Italy, and Britain, plus two from North America, the U.S. and Canada, plus Japan. This cooperation between the merchants of the earth, the kings of the earth, and the Vatican continued on at the same time as the Greek crisis dominated world attention. Don't forget that Gordon Brown, the Prime Minister of Great Britain, U.S. President Barack Obama, Canadian Prime Minister Stephen Harper, the Australian Prime Minister at the time Kevin Rudd, and many other world leaders all made visits to Rome in 2009 for audiences with Pope Benedict XVI to discuss the economic crisis as they made preparations to consolidate the global economy. Rome stands to gain the most by Germany's rise to power in the EU, especially through the European Central Bank. The Bible says that Germany, along with many other nations, will give her power and strength to the beast, or to Rome. That's found in Revelation 7.13, and it means that Germany will work on Rome's behalf in the civil arena. And Rome will help Germany manipulate the EU in exchange.
It is Rome that is really behind the European Union, the Greek debt crisis, and Germany's rise to controlling power in the EU. This isn't just a conspiracy against the citizens of Europe. It is a conspiracy against God's people who keep God's Ten Commandments. Rome is seeking to create a global religion that will appoint Sunday as the day of rest instead of God's sacred holy Sabbath day. They will work together with the kings and merchants of the earth to accomplish this. You have seen some of how this is working behind the scenes today. They must first consolidate the powers of the world, starting with Europe, so that Rome can eventually impose her worship day on you. Friends, because of Bible prophecy, we can see these things clearly. Now is your opportunity to make your life right with Jesus Christ. You can watch these powerful and amazing global movements develop just as the Scripture said they would. Don't you think you should get ready for Jesus to come? Don't you think you should order your life according to His revealed will? I'm sure you do. Please, make your calling and election sure. Don't forget our opening Scripture from Luke 21. God's will is to take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life, so that day come upon you unawares. Jesus wants to mature us so that he can trust us with his Holy Spirit in latter rain power. Watch ye therefore and pray always, that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass, and to stand before the Son of Man. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for showing us the things that are taking place at this very hour to fulfill prophecy, to bring this world to an end, so you can take your people home. We want to be among that number. Help us to live soberly and righteously in this wicked generation. May the Bible become our guide every single day, as we see these prophetic things unfold before us, we pray that you will open our hearts to let Jesus in. May his Holy Spirit teach us each day how to live like he is coming that very day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
We hope you have been greatly blessed by this month's message. Your prayers and gifts mean much to us. Thank you for your support. The song you have just heard is entitled, His Eye is on the Sparrow, sung by Jennifer Buttery. It is recorded on a CD with other beautiful hymns called Seekers of Your Heart. This beautiful CD is available from Keep the Faith Ministry.